few weeks ago, I uh, was out some, with some of the friends from uh, here, and we went to an event back sort of close to where I grew up, and I ran into some old friends, and that's always fun, right? A uh, couple of them I hadn't seen since high school, and some of them that's fun, and you kind of keep up. I'm not really on Facebook much, so I don't always know what people are doing, but um, you know, some of them you kind of know what's going on, but, but one guy, I, I, I had not seen him since high school. All I knew is that he went to the service, which was shocking to me. He didn't seem like the army type. Um, but he, but he did. And so man, I was kind of excited to see him. I hadn't seen him in years and I was excited to catch up. And, and I, as I was catching up with him, it was one of those things. It was like, Oh my gosh, you haven't changed. And not in like the good way, right? Not like, Oh, you just really look the same and you're still the, you know, fun, lift everybody up. Like, no, you're not any more mature than you were in high school, right? You ever had this, this you're like, Oh my goodness, you're still, Oh, that's still your life. Okay. I didn't know. Like, we don't have anything to talk about now, right? The conversation ended pretty quickly because it was just like, oh, you're still doing that, and you're, you just moved back in with your parents, and you're still doing, like, Roman, you're in, your, you're in your mid-30s. Like, this needs to, you know, you, you leave it kind of feeling bad, and you're like, oh, wow. So I don't know if you've had experiences like that where you're just, and it's even worse whenever they sort of, they're not even like, sometimes if people should acknowledge that, yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm doing my thing or whatever, and, and how are you? And they're able to kind of converse with you about your life, but whenever they just feel like, no, they're doing they're, do, they're nailing it, right? And then they kind of look at you with a cocked head when you start talking about, you know, having a, uh, you know, a job and mortgage and, you know, family and stuff like that. They're like, well, you know, it's like, like I'm missing out or whatever. And so it's kind of concerning. And I was like, really just kind of disappointed by that. And, um, and maybe you've had experiences like that. And Paul here in Corinthians is dealing with a bit of the same sort of thing with the, the people at the, the church at Corinth. When he left them, so Paul spent uh, several, Paul is the, is the church planner. Um, if you don't know Paul's story, he was radically saved from being a guy who hated the church and was killing Christians to becoming a guy who, who spent the rest of his life planning as many churches as possible. And so he spent about 18 months is what we can kind of pick up on uh, with these people planning this church, which was a long time uh, compared to a lot of the other churches that, that he planted. And he spent a lot of time with them. And when he left them, um, they were still young in their faith and there was nothing to be ashamed of in that. But he's been gone for a while now. And he's, he's hearing these reports about continued immaturity in these people. And, and it's not the kind of immaturity where they're, they're young and they're trying to grow. It's this kind of immaturity where they're pretty sure that they've got things figured out and they're making other people feel bad about not. And then there's divisions that are happening. And so Paul is addressing the same sort of thing. Hey, I left you at this state and, and you should have grown from here. But instead, I'm hearing that maybe the opposite has happened. It seems as though you've gone backwards. And so... Um, this is one of those texts that can really uh, deliver both a, a tender-hearted encouragement and a, a pretty tough-minded challenge at the same time. And so we're going to look at it together um, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 2. We're going to jump into it. And, and in this passage, Paul has just, explained, just finished explaining uh, in the previous verses um, why... Uh, they have the wrong idea about when it comes to, to following. What, what, what was happening is they were having divisions in the church about who, who they were following, and they were uh, deciding who they would follow based on how good of a, uh, a speaker they were. So this was a culture that, that really loved uh, you know, knowledge and people being able to, to speak eloquently and deliver a, a powerful talk, whether it was true or not, really wasn't their, their, uh, their major concern. It was, man, are they a good communicator? And so they're having these divisions. And so Paul is addressing them, and he's just finished saying that, hey, this is so crucial that, that, that you understand this, that he actually said, hey, when I came to you, I made a decision, Paul said, 
It's not that I'm not a good speaker. It's not that I can't speak eloquently and impress you with my... He said, I chose not to. He says, I resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And here's why. Paul says, so that your faith may not rest in men, but rather in the power of God. And so Paul is saying, I made a conscious decision not to impress you with how good I am at communicating, but rather to impress you with how incredible Jesus was when he went to the cross and came back out of the grave. He said, that is it. I wanted your faith to rest on nothing else. So that's how he ends in verse two, uh, or chapter 2, verse 5. And so now he's going to sort of go on to clarify, though. So he's, he's, he's sort of saying, like, that's it. That, that's the big idea. And, and there's people that you either, if they don't get it, it's because they're not saved. They haven't been given the Spirit of God, so it's not going to make sense to them. But for those who have been saved, it is the power of God to salvation. And so, but he's going to sort of go on to say, okay, but it's not just those two categories, saved and not saved. He's going to go on to say, verse 6, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, so he's going to shift in and say, okay, I I chose not to talk about, you know, grandiose ideas and deep spiritual things, you know, at that moment because I just wanted you to be built on the foundation of Christ and him crucified and nothing else. He says, but it's not that I can't because among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We do have lots to say. So here's the deal. Like, we're going to, we, I hope that you never come to the journey and don't hear the gospel presented to you, meaning that you, that you never, and what I said last week is, is that whatever we're preaching, whatever anybody's preaching, if it can be true without Jesus having gone to the cross, then you should run away. You should be concerned. Yes, there's wisdom. Yes, there's things to be gained, but it, it should not be able to stand on its own without Jesus having gone to the cross. And so, um, what Paul's saying is, but there is plenty of deep things for us to talk about, but we can only give that to those who are mature. And so we're going to sort of go to the end of the, of the passage that we read today and, and, and let this sort of put us in a couple categories and sort of define where we are. And then we're going to walk back through the middle of the passage and, and get some encouragement about how we do come to maturity. And so what Paul is saying here, he says, among the mature, we do have plenty of, of deep things to talk about. But then we, as we skip over to chapter 3, verse 1, he's, he's telling them why he didn't get into that with them is because they weren't able to take it. So in chapter 3, 1, he says, But I, brothers, when I was with you, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. And so he's not saying that they're not saved. He's saying that, yes, they're the people of God. They have the Spirit of God in them. He's affirmed that earlier in, the, you know, in chapter 1. But he's saying... So while that's true, and you're not just of the, you know, of the world and perishing, and it's, it's, that, that's not you, you have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, but you're still in this, what he's going to call an infant's stage, the people of the flesh, where yes, you're a Christian, but you're consumed with things of the world. You're consumed with things of the flesh, is the way Paul's going to put it. Infants in Christ, the end of verse 1. And he said, so I fed you with milk. He's going to use this analogy. So I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for solid food. So he's, again, he's saying, I can talk all day. I can hang with the big boys when it comes to philosophy and things of life and all of that. But he says, you can't. You weren't ready to receive it, so I had to give you milk. And even now, he says, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So what he's saying is, I suspected that you weren't ready for the deeper things 
of the truth. So I didn't share them with you. And it turns out you've proven that point because now I'm hearing that you're divided amongst who's the better speaker. He says, you're just proving my point that you're not ready for the deeper things of God because you're worried about popularity contests. You're worried about um, you know, getting um, social status out of the church and, and you're worried about you know, adding on to your resume and, and, and letting yourself be impressive to the world rather than being impressed by Jesus. And so he's saying, when you're doing that, when you're saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow this guy, he says, you're, you're living in a merely human way. And that's interesting. Is what Paul's going to talk about is like, what Christ has done is opened us up to, to far greater treasures, far greater riches in the, in the world of the spiritual wisdom that he wants to impart to us. But if we're just functioning in this, you know, what we can perceive, what we can learn, and, and the knowledge of these things. And so what, sort of what's happened here is that they've, they've embraced, you know, the gospel as their, their way out of hell. But then they sort of left it there and then went on to other things as far as like, how do I do, good, how do, I do life well? And how do I get, you know, um, the most out of this? They, they walked away from the gospel. That's what we talked about last week. That, that, that's not an option. And so, so, Paul, so, so here's what he's saying. So this should both be encouraging and challenging to people depending on where you are. So functionally what Paul is saying is, hey, I treated you as babies when I was there. But you know what? That was okay because you were babies, right? So it's okay to act like a baby, when you are a baby, right? Nobody's getting mad. I got a little one-year-old in my house, and, and we're not getting mad at him whenever he, he's not able to, you know, put a sentence together, right? Because he's a baby. We're not mad at him for acting like a baby, right? But when he, when he gets to be, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a six-year-old, and sometimes she just chooses not to use her words and instead just throws a screaming fit. We could, you know, might need to challenge that, right? Like, you know, she has words. She's choosing not to use them. And so it's okay to act like a baby when you are a baby. But when you're not, then it gets awkward, right? It gets awkward whenever it's a, it's a, it's a grown person chronologically. And, and there's the physical maturity there. But the, the, the maturity is, is disconnected from where they're supposed to be. And so, Paul, so here's the good news. If you're here and you're a new Christian... Paul is not challenging you. And God is not mad at you for not having the same level of wisdom and knowledge that other people around you do. Because he understands, hey, you, this is new to you. Right? This is new to you. And maybe you've been around church. Maybe a lot of our stories is, man, I grew up in church and I just thought it was religion. And all of a sudden, God gives you a new heart. Right? And so maybe that's your story. It's not that you've not been around church before, but God has just made you to be born again. And so you're, you're a new Christian, you're a, you're a babe in Christ, meaning you, you've got a lot of growing up to do, and that's okay. That's encouraging to, to those of you who are new in the faith. Paul says, that's, I spent my whole 18 months treating you as such, giving you milk, allowing you to be nourished, allowing you to grow so that you know, we could get to the solid food stuff, but, but you've failed to do that. And so, we, again, it was okay for them to be babes in Christ early on, but, but they've stayed there. And Paul is saying, now that's led you to as you've continued to live you know, your life as a Christian but not continue to mature, as you've continued to seek knowledge but not wisdom and not applying that knowledge, it's led you to be divided on things that are secondary at best, if not meaningless totally. And so, so the, again, it's okay to be a baby when you are a baby, but when you've grown up, it, you need to act. It, the, the maturity needs to match. And so, so that's the challenge. If, if you're here and you're new to your faith, then it's okay. 
God's encouragement to you. He's going to keep giving you milk. He wants you to keep learning, keep doing all you can. Like, there's, there's space for you, right? That's, that's fine. No condemnation there. But if you're here and you've been a Christian for like years or maybe your whole life, but you've never really matured, you've never really grown, that, that if, if people that are around you would say, yeah, they're pretty much the same as they were 15 years ago, then that's concerning because there should be a natural maturing. There should be a natural growth that happens in the life of us as Christians. And so that's sort of where Paul is going to challenge them because they've been around long enough now that they shouldn't be focused on these things. Instead, they should be increasing in humility and seeking knowledge from that instead of seeking knowledge so it will puff up in pride. So again, it's encouragement to those who are new in the faith, but it's a challenge to those who have been around for years and have just choosing not to apply the knowledge that they have, choosing not to study the scriptures, choosing not to lean into prayer, choosing not to challenge themselves by learning and growing in their faith. Paul says to you, man, that, that's, that's an embarrassment. You're still drinking milk, and you should desire to move beyond that. So, so that's sort of where he puts us. Now I want to walk back through and say, okay, so we should be desiring maturity, no matter where we are, Right? We should be desiring maturity. So if that's you and you're like, yeah, I've been, a, you know, I've been a babe in Christ for years and I'm sort of ashamed of it and I'm afraid to speak up, like there's grace for you. It's, it's not about what you've done. It's really more about what are you going to do moving forward? Are you going to embrace that and move, move on and, and seek maturity? Or are you going to you know, sort of stay there and continue just on the milk? And so we want to walk back through now and say, okay, how do we seek maturity? How do we get there? And so I want to, I want to walk back through the, the earlier part of the passage and, and see, okay, we're supposed to have maturity. How do we get it? So back to verse Six And he says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. And so what he's saying here is we do impart wisdom to those who are mature, but it is not a wisdom like this age, it's, it's different, and it's kind of going back to what he said earlier in the chapter, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are unsaved, those who don't know Jesus. What we're talking about in our faith is not going to compute with them because it only computes if you have a new heart, if you've been born again. And if not, it's sort of like trying to describe a sunrise to a blind person. They're just not going to be able to perceive it. They're not going to be able to connect those dots and enjoy it in the same way. And, and that's the way the, the, the wisdom of God is. If you haven't started with the cross, if you haven't started with giving your life to Jesus, admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and surrendering yourself to him as the Lord who conquered death, if you haven't started there, then the rest of what we have to offer in Christianity is not going to make sense to you often. And it's not going to be helpful for you. you, you ha- it has to be rooted in the gospel. If you don't start there, it's not, it's not going to make sense. And you've seen this, right? You've seen, you, you, you've, you've probably seen this as you tried to talk about your own faith or the way you live your life. It, it can be really practical. Uh, you know, the, the things that, that God calls us to do as, as Christians don't make sense to the world, right? When, when, when you are a young person and you're trying to date in a way that, that honors God, the world's going to cock its head at you and go, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would I wait to get married before I had sex, right? Why would I not do this and this and this? 
right? Why would I not explore this and explore this? And you could fill in that blank with, with lots of different things about the way that God calls us to, to use our money, right? The, the world's going to look and go, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, if you didn't give so much to the church, you could probably have, like, you know, a whole lot nicer house, right? Or you could have, you know, a, a non-beater car. You know, like, I know, but God's called me to this. God tells me there's life here, and I'm trusting in him and not in this wisdom, Right? And so you can sort of see, and we're not going to unpack all of those things, but, but th- those are examples of the way that, that, that God lays before us life, and the world looks at that and goes, it doesn't make any sense. But when we've been born again, right, Jesus has become our greatest treasure. And now it redefines everything. So that's sort of the first point of how, we, how do we uh, move toward maturity? Well, we have to let the gospel color everything else in our life. And so what Paul is saying here is, the wisdom God has for us, it's not like the wisdom of the world and, and, you know, and the rulers of this age, because why? They're doomed to pass away, right? These, these teachers that these people are fascinated with, the, the, you know, the rulers of this age that everybody's on board and following, he says, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. Their teaching's not going to last. And so why put your, your faith in them? What God has for us is so much more and so much richer that he puts it this way. Uh, he quotes from the Old Testament in verse 9. He says that what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And we say this often that God is never, when he prohibits something, when God gives us commands in the scripture, he's never trying to steal from us, right? We say that a lot. I don't know if it, if it computes always, but, but, but when, when he gives us rules and guidelines, it's always for our good from the posture of a good father wanting his sons, his daughters to live the fullest life. But it, it, again, it doesn't make sense to the world. And oftentimes it doesn't make sense to our own flesh why God calls us to do things this way. But, but in it, in his wisdom, in his ways, his law, like is riches so deep and a life so full that the Bible says, man, you can't even imagine it. So that's, that's, what, he, that's what he's saying is, is, yes, there is wisdom. And there is, if you start from this book and, and you think, okay, I'm just going to get some, some uh, principles for life right? I'm just going to get some good principles. You're going to be really confused by it. It's not going to be helpful. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's some, there's some good truths in there, but um, if, if that's just what you're approaching it for, you're going to get to some passages that aren't going to make any sense to you. In fact, you're probably going to just put the book down and be like, whoa, that was weird. I didn't see that coming, right? I didn't know that guy was going to do that. And so, but if, if we approach this as, as the story that God is unpacking to reveal himself to us, and that changes everything. And what he's saying here is it has to start with the cross. And once you get that, once you get the gospel, then God has such riches for us that, man, we've never even imagined. And really, that's all about him restoring what was lost, right? Because the garden, when God made things, it was good, right? And it was, it was so good that, that man, that he wanted his people to spend all of eternity exploring and cultivating and enjoying to the point that, what God has laid before us, the way to, to life, is not just for his glory, but it actually says that he, he put that out there at the end of verse 7, for our glory, that God has made a way for us to live life that is actually for our glory. And he says none of the rulers of this age understood that. So these people that they're putting on a pedestal and saying, man, I love my church, I love what Jesus has done for me, but I really want to be known, you know, I, I really am fascinated with, you know, this guy or that person. I want to be popular in that world. 
Paul says, listen, those people that you're so fascinated with, they don't get the true wisdom that God has laid out before eternity because if they did, guess what? They wouldn't have crucified Jesus. And what he's saying there is it's not just, oh, well, if they were more mature and more understanding, they would have had a respect for Jesus and they would have chose not to, to crucify. No, no, he's saying if they got it, then they would have understood that Jesus was the Lord of glory, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the creator of all things, and they wouldn't dare to try to put him on the cross. We know Jesus gave his life willingly to provide salvation, but what Paul is saying here is they clearly don't get it or they wouldn't have participated in the death of the Lord of glory. This takes us back to to Proverbs 1.7. It's a a famous passage. Many of you, you know it, that the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom, meaning that if you truly want to understand life, you want to have any wisdom of worth and, and knowledge that means anything, you have to start with the fear of the Lord. If you start with your own worldview, your own way of looking at things, and you just want to add God to it, it's not going to make sense. But if you instead let yourself be in awe, it, like if you just surrender to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you admit that he is indeed the ruler of all things. He's not just the one who made a way for us to you know, avoid uh, hell when we die. He's not just the antidote that we take to get out of this whole death you know, situation we've got ourselves in. Instead, he's the creator of all things. All things were made by him and through him. And all things hold together you know, through Jesus only. And that, and that all of this is headed toward not just this random end and we get all that we can out of this life, that all this is headed toward a kingdom that will last forever, right? A kingdom that, that will be established and, and God will come and dwell with man and it will be beyond our imagination. And that's where this is headed. That's what we should invest in. That's where we should pour our lives into. When we understand that, then everything else is colored accordingly. Everything else we see in, in perspective with that, So we have to let the gospel color everything else about life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. And so, so that's where we have to start. We have to let this change all of us and understand that the kingdom is headed there to, to where I just described, and it is already broken in. In Jesus, the kingdom is already and not yet. So it's not fully consummated, but it is already present. And when he's going to go on to explain what that looks like. Uh, in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This is the second point. So the first point, how do we seek maturity? We have to let the gospel color everything. The second point is we have to seek the Spirit because this is the way that we receive the wisdom, this deep knowledge of God. So Paul said it earlier in chapter um, 1. He says, out of God's wisdom, it was not set up so that we would find God through knowledge and wisdom, but rather through him revealing himself at the cross. And so Paul's saying, Um, So these things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit, verse 10, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What he's saying here is, is, here's the deal. God has for us this, this richness, this, the depths of knowledge that, that cannot even be fully exhausted ever. We, we spend our whole life with it. And the way that we get it is through the Spirit. And so, but, he, but he makes this 
practical thing. He says, who can, who can comprehend, uh, you know, who can know the, the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So what he's saying is, you can't know what I'm thinking right now. Right? Like, you, you can't just, you know, no matter how hard we try, like I can't, I heard somebody the other day talking about how technology is going to get to that place where we can sort of like see the thoughts of people. And I thought, well, that's terrifying. I don't actually think that's true, but, but it's a terrifying thought. But right now, like, you can't tell what I'm thinking. The only way for, for you to know what I'm thinking is for me to somehow give you my mind, right? To give you my, my you know, my thoughts. And so what he's saying is the, the wisdom that we long for, what we're craving for out of life, the Bible says that, that God put eternity in the hearts of man. And so we all have this, this thirst, this longing for, for something deep, something rich, something meaningful, right? And, and what we're longing for is only found in the mind of God. And so how are we going to get that? We can't. We can't know the mind of God. We can't, pretend if, we can't pretend that we have him all figured out. We can't pretend that we're as smart as him. The only way for us to know the mind of God is for him to sort of take it and put it in us, right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's done that. Who can know the mind of God except the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God searches all things, even all the way down to the depths of it. And guess what? Paul says, that's what we've been given. Like, that's how we get this truth. He says, verse 12, we've not received the spirit of the world, right? We're not just God, like God doesn't just make us smart so that we can compete with everybody else in the world of, of you know, knowledge and, and wisdom. No, no, we've received the spirit that comes from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So it is not a matter of you being smarter and you figuring out a way to achieve this. This is, a, this is something that is freely given by God in verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what's happening right now, and each week as, as me or somebody else gets up here and, and uh, attempts to deliver the Word of God to you, should not just be a mere exchange of intellectual knowledge. Right? You shouldn't just come here hoping that we have prepared something for you that will be helpful and will be impressive and you can leave here with a nugget. Like You're missing the point. Of what, what Paul is saying is happening in these moments is that spiritual truths, deep and spiritual things that are not merely human, as he's going to talk about later, are being communicated here. Secret and, and hidden wisdom that God has had for us from the beginning of time, that we have only missed out on because of our sin. And because Jesus has dealt with our sin, God is inviting us to come and freely receive this wisdom. That's why, that's why we, it's one of the reasons we sing before we preach. Realize that? It's one of the reasons, not the only. It's one of the reasons we sing before we preach, so that we are in tune with the Spirit. Right? So you shouldn't just go through the motions and, you know, sing some, like, and wait till we're done. So that, you know, like, no, 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 you should be engaging. Whether you like to sing or not, whether that stirs your affections or not, you should be engaging with the Spirit. You should be inviting the Spirit to, to do a work in your own personal presence, your own personal heart, so that this is not just merely a human exercise of me spouting some words at you. Rather, spiritual truths being interpreted by the Spirit to spiritual people. That's what we should be longing for. No matter if we're a new babe in Christ or we're a seasoned saint, we should come in hoping that the Spirit of God will grow us, the hoping that the Spirit of God will reveal more and more glory to us. And 
that he will increase and that we will decrease. We should come in with that sort of posture. So we should be seeking the Spirit as we seek wisdom. And here's the deal. Like it, it, we, we, if we just, again, we don't think of our salvation and how we get saved. We, don't think, we know we can't earn that. We talk about that all the time. That we can't earn our salvation. We have to, that's accepted by grace through faith. Right? But, but then sometimes we sort of walk away from that and we think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this study or achieve this wisdom or achieve this, you know, fill in the blank, by my own means of, you know, just discipline and brain power, whatever. He's saying that comes from God. Karl Barth said that, that, that God is known through God alone. God is known. God is what we're longing for. God is where the wisdom is. God is where the riches of life is. And we get that. We're, we experience that only through his work. Athanasius said there's no natural kinship between the flesh and the spirit. There's no natural kinship between the spirit and the creatures. The spirit is from God, that he gifts us with that. And so, so true wisdom is known only by God and He's the only one that can give us that, and he gives us that through his spirit. So, Paul's saying, hey, you, you want to really, like, it's not wrong. We, we sort of, sometimes we talk about it negatively, but it's not wrong for you to come to church hoping that, that God can, can help you with life. Right? Sometimes we, we talk about that, and we say we're not a self-help place, and, and, and that's it. We're not going to give you, like, seven principles to you know, a better workplace. You know, maybe we might give you some principles of the workplace, but again, if they're not rooted in the cross, they're not rooted in the gospel, then we don't believe that's what God has for us. And so, but it's not wrong for you to come with that, that angle of actually hoping that God can, can, can help your life. That's not wrong. Because listen, life's jacked up, isn't it? One of the most humbling and moving things for me as a pastor is to sit there and, and just to observe you all going through the communion lines and knowing Knowing what many of you are going through, right? Knowing the loss that some of you have experienced, knowing the, 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 the struggle that is, is going on at home, knowing the, the pain that, that some of you are in physically, knowing the, the, the despair and the worry that you have for your family. Like, and just to observe all that, like, life is jacked up, and it's foolish of us to not acknowledge that. But the wisdom of God is not, hey, how to, you know, how to live a life that's not jacked up. Instead, it's how to navigate and have hope and joy and, and, and avoid despair in this world that is jacked up. Right? The wisdom of God is, hey, how do you make sense of the end of where this is all going and, and how does that make sense right now? How does it, how does it add up what God is, is doing in this world? How does that compute with, and, and that comes not from just doubling down and going, I'm going to figure this out and then I'll come to God and I can understand his word. No, no, it's coming to him humbly and saying, Lord, help me to understand. Because what he's saying is it's already been freely given to you. The mind of God is, is given to you, whether you consider yourself a smart person or not so much, right? Whether you, could, whether you open up the Bible and you go, man, I have no idea what that means. I'm hoping somebody can explain it to me. Like, here's what he's saying. The Spirit of God is present in you. And he's given you access to all the depths of knowledge that exist in God. So we should long for that. We should posture our lives in pursuit of that. So, last thing. How do we seek maturity? So, first of all, we've got to let the gospel color everything, right? 
We don't look at life through the lens of the gospel and what he's redefined as far as what, what this is about, where this is all going. Secondly, we've got to seek the Spirit, right? Humble ourselves. It's not about our own achievement. It's about letting the Spirit of God, embracing what he's given us and, and the mind of God, like embracing that and, and not diminishing ourselves. Oh, I can't learn those deep things. Or not puffing ourselves up and saying, oh, look at what I've learned, but instead embracing the Spirit of God and knowing that we find life in that. And then lastly, we have to, when we're seeking maturity, how do we move to that? We have to apply what we learn. Here's the deal. We could seek knowledge all day long, but if we never apply it, then we're just becoming kind of grossly obese in knowledge. Right? But we're never working out what's been given to us. And then sometimes we'll sit back and, and complain about the knowledge that's given, right? And, pre, you know, this guy's not doing that. You know, I'm not, not pleased with, you know, I just wasn't getting fed at that place or this, you know, this deal or whatever. And we have this, this posture. But, but here's the deal. You have to apply what you've learned. Because that's, that's, that's when wisdom is, that's when knowledge is transformed into wisdom, right? To, to have knowledge, to know the truth, only does you so much good if you don't apply it. Right? James talks about that, to just hear the word of God. Not to do it, not to apply it. So that's like somebody who looks in the mirror, sees what they look like, walks away and immediately forgets. And we're not only hearers of the word of God, but we're doers of the word of God. So we'd be far better to be a people who, like, instead of being masters of a whole lot of knowledge, but our character is super deficient. It would be a whole lot better to be a people who are mastered by a little bit of knowledge about the, the God of the universe, right? About the gospel of Jesus Christ that are mastered by that knowledge and it's transformed our life. It brings a whole lot more to glory to God that way. Is it possible to be really theologically astute, smart, and know a bunch of truths and to be completely spiritually immature? And that's more disappointing and discouraging than the guy I talked about earlier that I expected to, you know, be living a, a different stage of life in his mid-30s. Right? To, to have a Christian who, who knows a lot of knowledge, knows a lot of stuff, but it hasn't actually changed their life, it hasn't actually been applied, that's a turnoff to the world, right? So let me ask you this. Is there this gap between what you know, what you've been taught, and how you're actually living. And I'm not taught, I'm not, I don't mean is there, you know, is there a struggle present? Like all of us, like, like I have a lot of, you know, knowledge. I can explain a lot of things, but there's still, I still have a sin battle in my own life. It, like knowing it and living it is still this struggle. And that's not what I'm talking about. Is there a struggle in your life? I'm saying, is there this big disconnect between all the years that you've been in church, the years that you've been a Christian, and the amount that you have matured? Is there this big disconnect? If so, Paul is saying, hey, God has so much more for you. So much more for you. I know the milk is good, but you should try the steak. Right? It's good. But you have to move to maturity. You have to allow yourself to move, uh, allow God to move you to maturity through the Spirit if you're going to enjoy the deeper things of God. And we, we want to be a people that are transformed truly, not just the people that come to church, right? but the people who look like Jesus, people who live like Jesus. And how does that happen? Through maturing in Christ, through 
seeking wisdom, seeking the Spirit, allowing ourselves to be transformed from the inside out. It's, if you're here and you've been saved, the truth of the matter is God has dealt the death blow to the enemy in your heart. So he is, he's taken over, he has won over your heart, the capital city of who you are, he's taken the throne. If you've been saved, that's true. He rules in your heart. And this process, that's justification, right? We're being, we've been saved, but this process of sanctification is sort of like, okay, now we have to, now he has to go out and, and overcome all the rebels, right? All of the, the parts of, of our empire that are still in opposition to him. He's sort of, so taking over the throne, taking over the capital city, that's one piece of it, and, and that's never going to change. You'll never be taken off that throne. But, but the process of, of moving that rule out and taking over the rebel forces that still exist in our heart, like that, we can't just be content. With, with letting them run through. Like, we have to lean in. We have to long for maturity, long for wisdom that comes for God, from God. And so, is that you? Are you somebody who just likes to, to listen and have knowledge? You just like to keep going through the motion? Are you somebody who seeks to apply what you've learned? Are you somebody that seeks for God to be transforming you, to laying yourself down regularly so that you decrease and he increases? So much of this is about Paul is addressing humility. Really, in all these, these first few chapters, Paul is getting at, he's, he's sort of trying to melt the pride that has brought divisions in this church. And he's just reminding them one way after another that, man, the way to life is, has not changed from what Jesus said. Jesus says, you want to find your life? Lay it down. Come follow me. You want to lose it? Keep trying to do your own thing. Keep trying to get all you can out of this world you'll find that in the end, you got nothing. But if you lay down all that this world says is valuable and you seek me as first and foremost, there you will find life. And that hasn't changed. It doesn't change. No matter how you increase in the maturity scale and, and your, your knowledge of that and, and you know, the amount of which that masters you, but the, the goal is, is it never changes. It's to continue to treasure Christ, to continue to live for Christ. Let this ring true and, and, and let the invitation of our good Father call you into maturity, wherever you are. Whether you've, you've been there for years and you're, you're ashamed that you're still a babe in Christ, there, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Right? He doesn't say, man, I'm sick of you. And I, I, no, no, he says, I love you and I want you to step off the milk. Come have some solid food. It'll be good. If you're here and you're a new Christian, man, praise God. He's really pleased that you're here and he's really, really takes joy in giving you the milk for the season. He loves it. Just like a parent loves feeding their baby. Like he's, he's, he's enjoying just having you as a part of your family. He has so much more ahead for you, but he's enjoying this moment. And if you're here and you're like, man, I've stalled out. I've stalled out. Then just know. It wasn't up to you in the first place, and it's not up to you now. The invitation is to come. The invitation is to embrace the Spirit of God. The invitation is to come back to the cross and let Him transform you from the inside out. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that, um, once again, the gospel is just not about what we have to do, but rather what you have done. I pray that for, for this people this morning, that you would make that true and 
speak to our hearts in all the different situations that, that people find themselves in. Give us faith to respond. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.